0: Amen and Amen. What a beautiful hymn from Andrew Peterson. Uh, That's the first time we have sung that together. Um, I have been listening to that probably since about the time it came out and that moves my soul every time I can hardly listen to that or sing that without um, coming forward with tears and weeping with gratitude for the one who is worthy indeed. We want to speak of him this morning, and would you turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and I want to think with you this morning about the risen and returning Savior, the risen and returning Savior on the night in which he was betrayed, the night in which he was tried. Uh, Jesus comforted first His disciples, not only with the promise of His resurrection, but with the promise of His return for them. And it's that that I want to draw our attention to this morning. John chapter 14. Let me read the first three verses and then lead us in prayer. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the living word of the living God, would you bow with me in prayer to that God? Our Father, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father, for his worthiness. We thank you, Father, that he is adequate, adequate to pay the penalty of sin, adequate and powerful and sufficient to raise himself from the dead. Adequate and sufficient to be accepted by You. Sufficient and adequate, Father, not only to be accepted by You, but to be enthroned next to You at the high place of heaven. Adequate, Father, to save those who have been given to Him. Adequate to raise them from the dead. Adequate to come back. And to take us home to be with him. On this day when we are separated from one another. Because of the potential of illness. On this day when our country, our world are in turmoil. Our hearts are at rest. Because of our risen and resurrected Savior. Might he be our joy, might He be our delight, might He be our confidence in a world that has very little confidence today. We pray in the name of Christ, for His glory, for His sake, amen. What do you offer a man who is hopeless? What do you offer someone whose world is shattered? What do you offer someone who has caught a glimpse into the future and the fear is not just startling, but it is terrifying because of its deadliness? I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about what Jesus and the disciples were facing on the night in which Jesus Christ was betrayed before He went to the cross. On that night, as Jesus was staring at death, on that night in which the, which the disciples were concerned about what would happen to their beloved Savior and friend, on that night when the disciples began to have a clear understanding of, of the fact that they would be left alone, that they would be, in their minds at least, left destitute, in their minds of being left without their greatest friend, What did Jesus say? On Thursday night of the week of Christ's passion, their world was being unexpectedly upended. On Sunday of that week, everything had seemed glorious and wonderful. They walked into Jerusalem next to Jesus and he was he was riding the triumphant and victorious donkey into the city, the declaration of the Messiah, the adulation of the crowds around him. The Messiah is here to take his throne. But the adulation of the crowd was transformed and the hatred of the religious leadership of Jerusalem quickly turned against Jesus and turned the crowds against Jesus. And a week that began with promise was suddenly ending with ominous signs against Christ. And Jesus' warnings on this night were not helping to dissuade the disciples of the fears that they were feeling in that moment. At first there was that whole interaction with Judas, and, and what was that about? What's this whole thing about a traitor? That obviously couldn't have been Judas in their minds, but, but where did G- Judas go, and what was, what was up with that? And then and then his words to Peter, what was he saying to Peter? Could Peter really deny Jesus? And they might have been tempted to think, well, is Peter the traitor? It doesn't seem that he could be, but, but could he be the traitor? And if Jesus was being tr- betrayed, where, where was he going? And what was all this conversation about he was going somewhere, but they wouldn't be able to go with him? Why couldn't they go with him? And, and why would they be left alone? And why couldn't they help him? And, and what would happen to them if he left them alone? You get the picture. They undoubtedly would be on the verge of full panic if Jesus wouldn't intercede. So what did he do? What did he say to calm them? What did he say to comfort them? What did he say to address their anticipated loneliness? He spoke of heaven we give lip service to heaven we we understand that heaven is the place where we're going we understand that heaven is is grand and and glorious and and we're going to go there someday and 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 someday it will be it will be a wondrous thing but it doesn't have very much impact on us now we think but it does heaven is the antidote to our fears that that's what jesus taught the disciples on that night Meditation on heaven is the antidote to our fears. Are are you disillusioned today? And who hasn't been tempted to be disillusioned in these days? Are are you discouraged? Are you afraid for the future? Is your heart in some kind of panic mode? Then then if you're in that scenario today, maybe because of COVID-19, maybe not because of COVID-19, but just the regular life circumstances that you find yourself in, the the relationships in which you are, and and the financial pressures that you are in, then, then if you're afraid, if you're fearful, if you're despondent, if you're questioning, if you're wondering, then come with me and listen to the words of Jesus and be comforted by the hope of glory. Well, this Easter morning... Let us not only hear the words of comfort from the resurrection of Christ, and oh friend, they are gloriously comforting words. But let us also hear the comfort of a resurrected Savior who is coming back to take those who belong to Him to be with Him for all eternity in heaven. How should how should thoughts of heaven be our encouragement? Listen to what Listen to what the Puritan Richard Baxter says to us. It is but fitting that our hearts should be on God when the heart of God is so much on us. If the Lord of glory can stoop so low as to set his heart on sinful dust... Methinks we should easily be persuaded to set our hearts on Christ and glory and ascend to him in our daily affections who so much condescends to us. O oh, friends, what we need in this day is to set our hearts on a resurrected Savior who is in glory and who is taking us to glory. In our COVID-19 suffering, in all of our suffering, in all of our loneliness, we will be strengthened by thoughts and meditations of our security in heaven. That's the place where Jesus pointed the disciples on the night in which they were tempted to despair, and that's where we need to give our attention as well. So let's look together this morning at these opening verses in John chapter 14, We might summarize the passage this way. The resurrected and ascended Savior is returning to take his people home. Because he is resurrected, because he is ascended, because he has the authoritative position at the right hand of the Father, he has authority, power, and right to come back, and to take those of us who belong to him to be with him in heaven. And that is exactly what he is going to do. The resurrected and ascended Savior is returning to take his people home. And as we come to this passage, it is noticeable that Jesus is not just addressing the fears of the disciples, but he is particularly addressing their temptation to be afraid of loneliness, to be fearful of being left alone, and not just to be left alone, but addressing their fear that they are alone, and to address their fear of their ungodly thinking about their aloneness. And isn't that an appropriate topic for COVID-19? He addresses that fear by looking past the resurrection and looking past the ascension and looking forward to his return. These verses compel us to trust God in our temptations to fear and loneliness because of four realities about Christ and his return. In this passage, we will find four realities about Christ and his return. These aren't just hopes, These aren't just desires. They are realities about Jesus Christ. They are a reality about our relationship with him. They are a reality about who he is. is, They are a reality about his power, his authority. They are a reality about what he will do. Four realities about Christ and his return. We find the first one in verse 1. Trust God. Because he has come near in Christ. Trust God. Because he has come near in Christ. In response to the disciples' fears, notice that the very first thing Jesus does in verse 1 is he addresses them with a command. And notice what the command is. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. It is a command. It is an imperative. It is a requirement for them. It is not a suggestion. It is, it is a command that is calling them to a particular kind of action. And what is significant about this is that Jesus doesn't just say, don't ever fall into fear, but he is saying, stop being fearful. In other words, They already are fearful. They've already gone over the edge. They've already descended into fear. They are already ungodly in their actions. They've already gone into and followed their temptations. And Jesus says, stop. It is time to stop. And he addresses particular kinds of fears. Notice what he says. Do not let your heart be troubled. That word troubled speaks about being stirred up or shaken or agitated. Kind of like your washing machine when it does that back and forth thing and stirs up your clothes and gets them agitated. In fact, it's called an agitator. That's, that's the very thing that was happening in their hearts. They were being agitated. There was inward turmoil. These are the kinds of things that keep us awake at night that awaken us in the middle of the night and then keep us awake through the night these are the things that that give us dread first thing in the morning they're the the what ifs of life what if i get covid-19 what if i lose my job what if my life wife leaves me what if i get ill what if i die And and, and notice that all of these what-ifs, all of this turmoil, all of this strife is not something that's happening outside of the disciples. Notice that God says, Christ says, do not let your heart be troubled. It's an inward affliction. It's an inward condition. It's in their heart their problem is not the potential for persecution that is outside of them. Their problem is not aloneness when Jesus leaves. Their problem is in their inner man. Jesus doesn't say, make sure you're never in a situation where, where someone is doing you harm and when there is difficulty. Make sure you stay out of troubling situations. No, Jesus is saying, make sure in troubling situations that your heart stops being fearful The problem is not the potential persecution. The problem is their inner man, their hearts. Their problem is how they are thinking about their circumstances. And Jesus is reminding them that they have failed to control their emotions. And this is a reminder to us that, that our emotions are things that we can control. Our emotions reveal what's inside of us. Our emotions are are revealing how we are thinking about our circumstances and how we are processing them. And this is a reminder that our emotions can change. Our emotions don't need to go into ungodly activity and ungodly behavior. And Jesus compels the disciples. You must control your mind. You must discipline yourself so that you don't engage in troubled, agitated Fearful thinking. Why would the why would the disciples on this night be tempted to be fearful? Well, they would be tempted to anxiety and fear because Jesus had been repeatedly speaking about the cross. In my Bible reading this week, I'm in the Gospels, and just this week I read Matthew chapter 26, and how fitting is that for for Easter Sunday and Easter week. Listen to what Jesus said, what the the Matthew, the gospel writer says, Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. The, The Son of Man, I am going to be... Crucify Jesus says. And, th- and this is not the first time that Jesus has said this to the disciples. From the beginning of his ministry, he has been intimating that he had, would be going to the cross, that he would die. And then there were explicit statements that he would go to the cross and he would be crucified. And this has become very clear in this week that he would be crucified, and that would tempt them to anxiety. There's also the temptation to anxiety because Jesus had promised them that they would be persecuted. Just turn the page to John chapter 15, verse 18, where Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, they've just heard they're going to crucify me. And they they don't have to go very far to make the connection, if Christ is going to be crucified, we will also be cru- uh, crucified or persecuted in like manner. As Jesus finished his words in the upper room, John chapter 16, he says it again, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. Why scattered? Because of persecution. Each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is has, is with me, verse 33, in the world you have tribulation. You have persecution, you have suffering, you have difficulty, you have, you have trial. And and, 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 that would tempt them to anxiety. That would tempt, tempt them to fear. They would also be tempted to anxiety and fear because he's told them that, that he's leaving them. Just look up at the top of the page, chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me as I said to the Jews. Now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I'm going to a place that you can't come with me. Verse 36, Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And and in fact, all through the upper room, he continues that theme. I'm going, you can't come. And and the the clear instruction is, you're going to be alone. In short, Jesus had prophesied of his death. He had prophesied of their persecution, their loneliness, and their grief. Anxiety and fear at that moment seemed to be a terribly rational thing for them to do. And that's, that's the way many of us think as well, isn't it? As we think about COVID-19, I'm not being irrational. My fears aren't rational. They're they're terribly rational in this moment. Don't you see what's going on in the world? And Jesus says in that circumstance to the disciples where fear might be the normal kind of response, do not let your inner man be troubled. Do not be afraid in the inner man. And why? And he tells us in the end of verse 1, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious, don't be fearful, because He is trustworthy. Notice the next words. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. To stop them from worrying, Jesus commands them, believe in God, and believe also in Me. Have have the same faith in Me as the Son of God that you have in the Father. And you can... You can have faith in me. You can trust me in the same way as you trust the Father because I and the Father are one. We are, we are one in a triunity. We are of one mind. We are one God. If you trust the one, you can trust the other. And Jesus uses the same command in this verse two times. Believe. And that word believe is a present tense which means you are to trust in an ongoing manner. This ought to be the habitual pattern of your life. That, that as you look at your life, you, you have a life of trusting in God and trusting in Christ. In every circumstance that tempts them, brothers and sisters, that tempts us to worry, we are to fight that temptation with belief. It is notable the John's Gospel is focused on this word believe. Ninety-eight times he uses the word believe. In fact, most of the time that he uses that, more than 50% of the time that he uses that word believe, it is, it is in this present tense. That is, there is to be an ongoing kind of belief. And what's interesting is that the book begins with this concept of belief. Chapter 1, verse 7, right at the beginning of the book, John the Baptist says he came as a witness to testify about the light so that we might believe through him. He came so that we would believe. And the end of the book also is about belief. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So at the beginning of the book, he's talking about belief. At the end of the book, he's talking about belief. And in the upper room... He starts by by talking about belief. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. And at the end of the upper room, he is talking about belief. Chapter, Chapter 16, verse 30, the disciples say, We believe that you came from God. And Jesus, verse 31, answered them, Do you now believe? From start to finish, this is all about belief. From start to finish, this is all about do you trust God? Do you believe Him? Do you believe that He is the antidote to your fears? Do you believe that He is sufficient? Do you believe that He is able? As one writer has said, the only efficacious remedy against anxiety and distress is a confident faith. You want an antidote to your fearfulness today? It is faith in God. It is faith in Christ. Notice also that Jesus doesn't say that they are to believe that their circumstances will improve. They're not to have faith that they will avoid persecution. They're not to have faith that they will avoid death. They are not to have faith that they will avoid suffering. They're not to have a faith that they won't be alone. That's not what they're pointed to. Their faith is not in a circumstance. Their faith is is in a person. And specifically, Jesus says that their faith should be directed towards two people, Notice what he says, believe in God. And they they would have understood that concept from the Old Testament, that God is a trustworthy God, that the, God is a sovereign God, that God is a faithful God, He is a loving God, He is omnipotent God. It is, it is virtually from the first page of the book in the Old Testament to the last page of the Old Testament. It is saturated with the truth that God is faithful, He is loving, He's gracious, He's powerful, He is trustworthy. And Christ says the same thing of himself. They're also to believe in him, not just in God, but also in Christ. In the same way that they believe in Christ, excuse me, in the same way that they believe in God, they should also believe in Christ. Why should they believe in Jesus Christ in the same way as they believe in the Father? Because Jesus came near as an explanation of the Father, and as, as the presence of the Father with them. Remember, Do you remember chapter 1? What John says in chapter 1 about the coming of Jesus Christ? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory. Glory as of the, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. So Christ came. We saw Him. We beheld Him. We saw the glory of Christ. No one has seen God, verse 18, but the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus Christ came to earth to be with us to explain to us, to the disciples, and then through the disciples to us who God is so that we might see God, so that we might understand Him, so that we would have a sense of His presence with us. It's Jesus' way of reminding them when He says, Believe in God, believe also in Me. You're not alone. God is adequate for you in the Old Testament. I am adequate for you today. As you trust Him, you can trust Me. God is worth trustworthy. Christ is trustworthy. His advent... His presence with us, His nearness to us reminds us that we don't need to have our circumstances changed. But what we do need to have is the object of our faith and trust and hope changed. We need to not trust that things will get better in this world. We need to trust that we have a God who is gracious and kind and will do just as he pleases with us. We need to believe that the Father is God. We need to believe that Christ is God. And we need to believe that God and Christ are good and that they are doing good for us. This morning, as you face COVID-19, As you face all of your other trials, all of your other difficulties, all of your other suffering, understand that Christ and His presence on earth means that He is trustworthy. Trust God because He has come near in the presence of Christ. There's a second reason why we should trust God. It's given to us in verse 2. Trust God because He is building a heavenly home. Trust God because he is giving and building a heavenly home. Here, starting in verse 2, Jesus gives us a number of reasons why the disciples should believe in him even as they believe in the Father. He he says um, they are to believe in him because there are many homes in heaven. He is going to prepare those homes in heaven. He is going to return for them and they will be with him for all of eternity in heaven. They can trust him because of what lies ahead in heaven for them. And to point The disciples to heaven is Jesus' way to say you can trust God eternally. And if you can trust him for eternity, you can trust him for today. To where does he point them? He points them, verse 2, to his father's house. What is his father's house? It is the place where the Father and the Son and the Spirit in their triunity live together in harmony and fellowship where they have been for eternity and where they will be for all of eternity and where they invite their adopted family to join with them. It is it is home for the Trinity. It is in a word. Heaven. What kind of place is this house? What kind of place is heaven? It's a permanent home. It's not a temporary shelter. It is not, however, a mansion as some translations have it here. It's, it's not this palatial house that we have for ourselves, each of us in our own little home. Notice what Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. It is in my Father's house. That is the place that he is going to, the place that he is preparing for us is within the Father's house And inside that house, within the house of God, there are many places to live. There are many places underneath the roof of God, underneath the authority of God, underneath the plan of God, underneath the protection of God that belongs to God where God's people will live. So we might, we might think of these places as apartments, if you will, where we will reside each of us in our apartments, each of us in our places that the Lord that is preparing for us, but all of us together under one roof with one head, with one Father who is ruling and reigning over us. We're not alone. That's the point. That whatever we have on this earth, when we go to our heavenly home, we will be always together Not just with each other, but together with Christ, with the Father, under the headship and under the rulership of His authority in His home. How many places will be there? Notice what Jesus says, many places. Every place that is needed for every believer will be there. There will be no one who will be left outside, no one who won't have a place, but every place prepared by the Savior, a perfect place for that individual, for their eternal abode with the Father. the point is that every believer will be home. Every believer will be sheltered in one place, under the headship of god we are safe we are kept we are secure and that is exactly why we read for instance first peter chapter 1 this morning it is to remind us that the treasure of what we have in our salvation is being kept by uh, kept by god for us he is keeping it secure it is safe and it's a reminder my friends that whatever we have on earth and whether we keep something on earth or whether we lose something on earth, it is not final and it is not fatal. Whatever we have here, this is, not, this is not the last. This is not the end. And even if we lose something here, even even if we lose something here and we never get it back here, my friends, if we are in Christ, we are safe. He's making a home for us. Trust God because he is making a heavenly home where there is fullness of love and infinite grace and complete perfection of all residence where all sorrows and pain are removed. And friends, that should give us hope today. That should give us a hope on a day when we are separated from one another, when the sanctuary as I am preaching is empty, and yet there is coming a day when we will never be separated from one another or from God. And that is to what we are looking. There is a saying apparently in Africa that goes this way, only mention home to the weary traveler and his legs become bars of iron. Mention home and our legs become bars of iron. Oh, friends, that is what we have ahead for us. We have a home. Let us be confident of that home and be strengthened in anticipation of coming home. Trust God because he has come near in Christ. Trust God because he is building a heavenly home. Thirdly, trust God because he is building a heavenly home for you. He is building a heavenly home for you. In the last phrase of verse two, notice that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. What does it mean that Jesus goes to prepare a place? It means that part of the reason for his departure from earth is for the express purpose the particular purpose of building this heavenly home for us. He is leaving us now briefly to prepare an eternal gift and an eternal home for us. His his actions are like the actions of a bridegroom making a home for his bride. So so the bridegroom goes to the home of his father and he, he builds an extension to the father's home and he prepares that place exactly for his bride. And when the home is ready, and when the bride is ready, he comes for the bride and takes that bride to that heavenly home where they will be together forever. This is what John will write about in his Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice, verse 7, and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. She's ready, and the bridegroom has come to take her home. And friends, that is exactly where Christ is today. He is making a home for us. It is easy to read this verse. And to and to emphasize that he is going or to emphasize that he is preparing. But the way Jesus said it and the way John wrote it is to remind us that the emphasis is not on his leaving. The emphasis is not on his preparation. The emphasis is on the fact that he is doing it for you. He is doing it for you. He is speaking this to the disciples. This preparation that I am going to make is for you. Twelve. Eleven minus Judas, then plus Matthias. It is for you. And it is for all of those who follow in obedience to them. It is for us. It is for us that he prepares this place. But friends, I want you to notice and I want you to think about the fact that not only is he preparing a place for us, but he is preparing us for that place. Listen to what the Puritan Thomas Boston wrote. Never was there so much to do to fit the inhabitants for a house. The saints were by nature utterly unfit for this house and human art and industry could not make them meet for it. But the father gives the designed inhabitants to the son to be by him redeemed. The son pays the price of their redemption even his own precious blood. Justice gives them access to the house and the Holy Spirit sanctifies them by his grace that they may be meet to come in thither where no unclean thing can enter. Friend, he is not only making a place for you. He is preparing you for that place. So one day soon, we will come together with the Savior, married to Him in unity as a body to Him, and together with Him, the place is ready, and we are ready. Jesus makes an eternal residence for us, and then makes us for that eternal residence. Oh, friends, what grace is this? Can we believe this? Can we trust that this is true? Notice what Jesus says in the middle of verse 2. Yes, you can trust me, because if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus Christ, the one who cannot lie, the one who is full of grace, the one who is full of truth, the one who is constrained by truth, the one who is truth. Cannot lie, cannot deceive. If he says it, it is true. The disciples were tempted to be lonely because of their aloneness. They were tempted to think about their solitude in an ungodly way. Yes, Jesus warned them they would be alone for a time, but that solitude was not permanent. It was no excuse to fall into fear, it was no excuse to fall into feelings of loneliness. Because there is a time when every believer will be gathered together into one eternal home of God to enjoy eternal and infinite fellowship. This solitude that the disciples were having, this solitude that we are having in COVID-19, friends, is temporary. And the heavenly dwelling that was being prepared for the disciples and is being prepared for us is Permanent. Friends, that is our encouragement and that is our hope. That what we are experiencing today is temporary and what awaits us is permanent. You can trust. Trust God because he has come near in Christ. Trust God because he is building a heavenly home. Trust God because he is building a heavenly home for you. A fourth reason to trust him. Verse 3, trust God. Because he is coming to take you home. Jesus would love to leave the disciples, but he would also come again. Notice verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you. That word if is a conditional. But the sense of it in this instance is not if, well, maybe I'm going to leave and maybe I'm not. But the sense is when I leave. In other words, he will leave. That is a certainty. The reality of his leaving is guaranteed. He, he will be gone for a season. But if that is true, that he is going to be gone, then it's also true that I will come again. He will, he will return for them. Notice that, that the emphasis in this verse is on the restoration of the believer to Jesus Christ. I will come again that that's a promise of the return and the completion of the salvation and I will receive you to myself that is a promise of acceptance that where I am you may be also that's a promise of intimacy and fellowship why is this so significant Why is it so significant that Jesus would come again? Why is it so significant that Jesus would come to take his people to himself? Because that is the very reason for which we were created. We were created not just for fellowship with one another, but we were created for fellowship with the Son. And then when sin intruded into the relationship and, and fellowship with the Son and with the Father was broken in the garden, Christ came back not only to be the Redeemer for us, but He came back, Matthew one twenty three tells us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. He came back to restore the fellowship that He created us to have with Him. When He called the disciples, Mark chapter 3 tells us, when He called the disciples, He called them to be with Him. The very purpose of their calling was so that they would have fellowship and intimacy and joy with Him. It was the plan of God in creation for mankind to have fellowship. It was the reason for Christ's coming that man would have fellowship. It was the reason for the calling of the disciples to have fellowship. And friends, it is the end of our salvation that we would have fellowship with Him. More than going to a place, we are going to a person. And that is what Jesus makes so terribly clear in verse 3. I'm going to prepare a place, but when I bring you... Notice He doesn't say, I'm bringing you to the place, but I am bringing you to Myself so that where I am, there you may be. And the emphasis is not that we're in a place, but that we are with Him, that we have fellowship with Him. Listen, friends, the goal of our salvation is to get us to God, to bring us to Him, to restore our fellowship with Him. And this promise is a reminder to the disciples on the night before the cross, a night when they would be afraid that they would be left alone, a night in which they would anticipate Christ being crucified. The next day they would see Him crucified. They would see Him put in the grave and they would feel the weight of that aloneness. It is to remind them they are not alone. He is coming back and He will take them. To him. He will take us to him. At the beginning of this section, he makes the command, verse 1 of chapter 14, believe in God, believe also in me. As the night ends in the upper room, the disciples say in 1630, now we believe. And in verse 31, Jesus asks the question, do you now believe? Friends, that's a fitting question for us today as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and as we think about his return. Do we believe? Do we trust God? Do we trust his faithfulness? Do we trust Christ? Do we trust his resurrection? Do we trust that He is seated at the right hand of the Father? Do we trust that He is doing good? Do we trust that He is coming back? Do we trust that when He is coming back, He's taking us to be with Him? And do we, do we believe that that is more worthwhile than anything we have on this earth? Friend, do you believe this morning? Do you trust Jesus Christ. It may be that you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, that you're watching this morning simply because this is what you do on Easter morning, that you go to church and you participate in church, but it's a once a year or a couple times a year kind of event, and you really don't believe in Jesus Christ. It may be that you're in worship with us every Sunday morning, but you've never actually put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, this is a morning. When you must trust in jesus christ it, it 's a command it 's an imperative it 's not my command you shouldn 't trust and and believe in Jesus simply because I say it, but you should trust and believe because Jesus says it. Believe in God, believe also in me. You must believe in Jesus, you must believe that he came to earth. you must believe that he lived a perfect life. You must believe that he died on the cross to atone not for his sin but to pay the penalty of your sin. You must believe that Jesus satisfied God's wrath when He was the sin bearer for us. You must believe that He was resurrected out of the grave. You must believe that He has ascended into heaven. You must believe that He is worth following. Friend, do you believe? Do you trust? Will you believe? You must believe. He is worth following, friends. We sang it earlier this morning. Is he worthy? Oh, he is infinitely worthy. A couple generations ago, R.G. Lee was the pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And he told one Sunday the story of an event in his childhood where he was asking his mother about the most glorious day, the happiest day that she had ever had in her life. She responded this way, Son, there was a horrible war between the states, the north against the south, brother against brother. Your granddaddy, my daddy, went to war. There were no men around. My mother worked alongside other women in the field. We didn't have things that we have today. The only salt that we had was what we could scrape off the smokehouse floor. The only coffee that we had was dry ground corn. It was a hard time. And then the news came that my daddy had been killed in the war. I cannot tell you how dark that day was. When they told my mother, she wept. We didn't see her weep openly very much during the day, but all night long I could hear her sobbing all night long. We did the best we could to get along with Daddy, but it was tough to be so alone. Then one day we were sitting on the porch, and my mother looked down the old river road, and she said to me, Elizabeth, that man walking down the road so far away, he looks like your daddy. She was snapping beans as she stared across the horizon. After a while, as the figure got closer, she said, I declare that man sure does look like your daddy. I said to her, now mama, you know daddy's dead. Don't get thoughts like that in your head and in your heart. But then that man turned and cut across the cotton patch and started across the field towards our house. My mother suddenly threw the beans in the air, gathered up her skirt and began to run. She flew across the front yard as fast as she could. She recognized that the man was my daddy. He had one arm one arm missing, a sleeve was pinned up. But he embraced my mother with the other arm and they wept and they laughed and they danced. I ran as fast as my legs would let me. And when I got to them, I put my arms around my daddy's knees and I hugged him. And I rejoiced that my daddy was home. Son, I do believe that that was the happiest day of my life. Oh, friend. I know some of you are grieving today. I know some of you are suffering. Some of you are longing and hurting. But there's a day coming when we're going home because we have a crucified Savior, a resurrected Savior, and a returning Savior. Trust Him. Our Father, we thank You for the hope of Christ, not just the hope that He was crucified for our sin, but the hope that He was resurrected because of His perfection, and the confident hope that He will fulfill His promise and come and take home every single one that belongs to Him for whom. He was resurrected that He might save them and make them His. Father, we are tempted this day to be fearful. We are tempted this day to be lonely. Father, would You alleviate those fears from us and make us to rejoice in the resurrected, returning Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.